Well, today we're going to cover a few chapters in the Bible that are relatively well-known, and these two chapters are going to cover several repeated learnings. You're going to see familiar themes. You're going to see familiar questions. We're going to see God provide. We're going to see God's mercy and grace. We're going to see his judgment and consequences. We'll see rebellion. We'll see the power of words and how we go about saying things to others and how that impacts people. We'll see doubt, and we'll see things based on their own feelings, people making decisions based on what they, what they see with their own eyes. We're going to see the negative side of a report. We'll see the majority speak without God's plan in mind. We'll see a few speak with God's plan in mind and yet still be ignored. We'll see missed opportunities. I think it's a fascinating story, but when I read it, it can also be a very terrifying and challenging story. And I just have to say, we've created this preaching calendar way back in September of last year, and it's remarkable how God's provision and timing is, because today's message, I think, will certainly impact our, our personal daily lives, but I think it speaks directly to where we find ourselves as a family, as a church family in our community right now. I think we're at this kind of crossroads, and I'll explain a little bit later why I believe that. But before we get too far this morning, let's just invite God to join us right where we are. Let's pray. God, thanks for everything that you're doing in our lives and the challenges. I know how you're challenging me and our family. And so, God, we just say, come, by the power of your Holy Spirit, prepare us for the words that you have for us. Help us to be changed. Help us to be different than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. My name is Andy. If this is your first time joining us, thanks so much for joining us. If you're online, we're so glad you're here. We are in our new series called A Familiar Journey. And we're headed to the book of Numbers, if you're following along in your Bibles. And if you don't have one of these journals, I encourage you to get out of your seats and go grab one. They're in the back. They're absolutely free. Because in there, you're going to have a place to journal through the Bible to follow along on a reading plan. And on your seats, you have the new memory verse for this series. And we are finally caught up. And what I mean by that is Sundays typically start our week's reading plan. We're a little off uh, this year, but we're now caught up. So you're going to read this story that we're going to talk about later and in that journal, you're going to see a QR code that will take you to a web page. And if you scroll down, uh, you're going to see a link to take you to a reading plan. And there you're going to have links to different videos that will provide different depths for not just the books you're reading, but characters. They're phenomenal. They're about four or five minutes long. So I encourage you to do that. And, of course, there's a place to take notes on today's message. As I mentioned, A Familiar Journey is the series we're in. The chosen people of God find themselves on this exciting journey with promises from God, promises of land and freedom. They're guided by God with a cloud by day and a fire by night. They're being provided for each and every day with this miracle every morning of manna. It's a, a, a wafer-like substance that magically appears each morning. Days and weeks, I imagine, start to feel very familiar. They probably feel repeated, like over and over. They've seen God show up in miraculous ways, like ways they couldn't fathom. And why these things don't become familiar to them, we do not know. What we also don't know is why it doesn't seem familiar that they find themselves in this continuous cycle of disbelief and rebellion and complaining. They have continued opportunities to learn this lesson that God's trying to teach them. The continued opportunity that God provides them, that they can trust Him. And all those, although these things are constant in their lives and familiar to us as we read them, they're anything but for those living in the story. And today we're going to see many of these familiar themes, but it doesn't seem like this community ever recognizes what's really going on in this opportunity that they have to trust God. 
And because of it, they suffer the consequences of lack of trust. Their decisions, as God tries to yet again teach them this lesson, that if learned, would radically change their lives. A lesson that, however, it might, this lesson might be the hardest lesson to, to, to learn for all of us. And as a matter of fact, I think if we would learn this lesson, our lives would look radically different as well. If we could learn it and imply these things, I think we'd see things completely different. So this morning, let's see if we can see the lesson, and let's try to leave here better equipped to know how this impacts our day-to-day life. As we'll see in Numbers chapter 13, we'll see that the Israelites have finally arrived on the border of the promised land, this land of Canaan. And God speaks to Moses, and he gives him very clear instructions. This is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore, some say spy, on the land of Canaan, which I am going to give the Israelites. It's this promise. For each, for each tribe, send one of its leaders. So he's given specific things for specific people. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So Moses does exactly what God says. He finds the men, he instructs them, and he sends them out with very clear instructions on what to do. Then it says, when Moses sent them out to explore the land of Canaan, he said, go up through Negev and unto the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Is it, are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So off they go, and in verse 25 it tells us, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. I want to point out something here. The request to send out these spies isn't necessarily a lack of trust in God. The spies are sent out to test their confidence in God's guidance of protection in the promised land, the deliverance from Egypt, and it was full of wonders. They've seen these things over and over. This is just another... Thing like, just trust me in this. I've taken you this far. Trust me in what I'm telling you now. They need to believe that what God did in the Egyptian nation, he can also do in these fortresses of Canaan. I say this because the report they're going to bring back is going to be full of promise, but also full of risks. Let's hear what they have to say about this 40-day journey. They returned back. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. It's interesting to note that the Kadesh here is a synonym for defeat or lost opportunity. God has named this location based on their reaction and their decision that they're going to have here. So that I want, and then this makes me wonder, like when I read this and I learned that little nugget, I go, well, I wonder how many Kadeshes are in my life. Like how many missed opportunities have I had in my life where I didn't trust, where I didn't believe, But then it also gets me excited in the fact that, like, I wonder how many of these promised land opportunities I'll have to trust God and to walk in in this land of milk and honey, as they'll talk about, which is a sign of God's blessing and prosperity. At any rate, let's get back to the report. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We, see, we saw even descendants of Anak there. 
the Amalekites and live in Negev, the Hittites, the Jesubites, the Amorites, all the Bites are there. They live in the hill country. The Canaanites live there near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silences the people before Moses and said, we should go and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. So they return. The spies, after 40 days of in this promised land, they confirm all the promises that God said, it's there. There's an abundance of daily provisions, just like God said. Their testimony was good. There's, it's fruitful land. It was unanimous. Everybody agreed to this. Everybody said yes to this. But there's this tremendous amount of reservation by the majority of the spies to enter the promised land. The land, they said, was inhabited by very strong people. Their cities were large and well-fortified. In addition, there was these giant-like people who caused dismay and dread among the Israelites. It seems as though the people have gotten word of this gloomy situation, the rest of the Israelites, and maybe they become agitated and discouraged. There's at least a murmuring going on because it's implied in verse 30 in the statement, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. The attitude of Caleb was positive. It was optimistic. He was excited about this opportunity. The report he had was quite different. He said, we should go take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He has courage. He asserts that their enemy can certainly be defeated. Let's see now how the spies respond to Caleb's remarks. They said, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, which are descendants. There's these large people. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Their fear overwhelmed their gratitude and their faith. Ten of the spies doubted. And they even emphasized the evil and the challenges rather than the good and the possibilities. I often wonder, like, how did this come to be? They're all together, right? They're coming back from 40 days. They arrive at the same time. I would imagine they're having conversations about what they're about to say, right? Like, what's the report you're going to give? I wonder if Caleb was, like, close by and was trying to, like, talk them out of it. Or was he providing this, like, what will I say to combat whatever they're going to say? Now, we don't really know the answer to those questions, but what we do know is that the, this news gets reported to the entire Israelite community. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Any of this sound familiar? The Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and all the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us just to go back to Egypt? And then they said to each other, we should choose a leader and we should go back to Egypt. I mean, it sounds familiar. Like we've heard this story before. They responded much like they have before. When circumstances become treacherous, they respond with doom and gloom. Keep in mind that at this point, they're in absolutely no harm. There isn't any threat from any neighboring communities. There isn't an army closing in on them like there was at the Red Sea. 
and yet they respond with wishing they had died or gone back to Egypt to be slaves all over again. Now, before we look at Moses and Aaron and how they respond to their complaining, I want us to look back and see what lesson God was trying to teach. Because if we do not learn this lesson, we may spend the rest of our lives wandering around just like they do. There's three mistakes I'm going to talk about this morning. The first mistake they made, which again is familiar as we read it, but not familiar to those living in it, was doubting God's word. God delivered his people from Egypt so that they can enter the promised land and enjoy the blessing that they had prepared, that he had prepared them for. Right? Moses reminded them that God promised the land to his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he reaffirms this promise through him, Moses. But even more, God reminded the people of his promise when they broke camp at Sinai and when they arrived at Kadesh. God's promise was Israel's title deed to the land. That's all they needed. They had this guarantee that they would defeat the enemy. God's promise was all they needed to go on. They just believed. They just trust what God had said. But they doubted God's word and began to walk by sight instead of by faith. And the second mistake they made was discouraging God's people. I read somewhere that a committee can be defined as this. Maybe you've seen a committee like this before. A group of people who individually can do nothing and collectively decide nothing can be done. Right? It's a lot of committees are that way. They lacked faith. All spies except Jacob or Caleb and Joshua were discouraged by this prospect of entering the promised land to fight this enemy. And since the majority of the group brought their discouragement, it spread like a wildfire throughout the camp. Doubt turned into unbelief, and unbelief is rebellion against God. It's interesting how the ten spies in Numbers that we just read identify Canaan as the land you sent us and the land through which you have gone, or we have gone, and not as the land the Lord our God is giving us. These men were walking by everything that they saw. They looked at the people, said they're giants, we can't defeat them. They looked at the cities, said the walls are too, fo- too high, they're, the gates are locked. They looked at themselves and said, we're nothing but a grasshopper. If only they'd had faith to look to God. They would have seen that the, the one who is able to conquer every enemy, every challenge, and he sees them all as grasshoppers. Their cry was unbelief. We are not able. But belief in God is a cry of faith. And a cry of faith uh, is something that you got to walk in. you got to live in. You, there's tension in it. And faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And as God continues to test our faith, when it's genuine, we grow our faith in those situations. This is always the test. This is the test all the time. God is constantly asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And to the unbelieving world, it's unreasonable for anybody to trust a God they've never seen or heard. But as a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus, your Lord and Savior, we have all the evidence we need. All the evidence we need to convince us that God is dependable and that God has the power to accomplish what he says he will do. Where we're, we're scared of risk, 
is where our faith, where our lack of faith is. When we we aren't sure, that's where the tension is, and that's where we have this opportunity to go: Do I trust what God has said, or don't I? The good news is God just doesn't start to to grumble and pout when we have these doubts. He meets us right where we are. He says, trust me, I will provide. Trust me, I am good. But where are we more trusting of the giants, of the things that we see, than we are of the power of God? Romans 4.21 reminds us what he promises he is able to perform. Israel has seen. They've been given example after example of how God has come through, promises of a God will come through, that God will not fail them, but they're still filled with unbelief. And that leads to discouraging God's people. And unbelief is serious because it challenges the very character of God and it rebels against his will. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember that? We've talked about this, Hebrews 11.6. The third mistake is found in Numbers 14, verses 5 through 10. Now remember, right before we we read this, the last thing we talked about was them saying, it'd be better if we were dead or slaves in Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron, this is their response, fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land toward their close, sign of mourning. And they said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, God's blessing, prosperity. And he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of, of the land, because, he, because we, will be, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Like, really? Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So the third mistake is defying God's will. In the camp of Israel, unbelief and discouragement spread rapidly from heart to heart. And before long, They lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. Honestly, it sounds like a a lot like me a few weeks ago when I watched a Bengals game. (sighs) They lifted up their voices. They were crying and weeping. The next day, the whole congregation, they criticized Moses and Aaron and lamented the fact that the nation uh, hadn't perished in Egypt or in the wilderness they, they wanted to be back. They wanted to be slaves. See, when our eyes are on ourself and our circumstances, this is when we lose our perspective, right? When our eyes are on ourself and our own circumstances, we lose our perspective of who God is and what God can do. Can I, can I just be transparent for a moment? I mean, I've done this. I've taken my eyes off Jesus more times than I'd like to admit Here's a little bit about me. I have a very high standard for myself. Honestly, my counselor says my standards that I have for myself are not only too high, they're unrealistic. I have a high need for impact. I want to see impact. I want to see tangible results of things. 
I want to understand things clearly. I need details. I need them in an organized way. And since I had this highly perfectionist attitude, I've shared this before, I see every wrong before I see any right. I need lots of details in order to be confident. I desire stability and security. Now think of what I just said about myself. And I know there's many good things in there in that list. But you could see how those things that, that I see or I feel like I need clash with God's ways, right? In my world, it's win or lose. That's it. The Bengals lost, and I'm still sour about it. Still not over it. And I won't be for some time, right? I know it's just a game. I know I shouldn't take it so seriously, but I do. Trust me, I wish I didn't care as much as I do. And this goes for almost everything in my life, right? When I do something, when I set a goal and it isn't met, to me it's a loss. And I know that isn't always the case. I'm not looking for anybody to convince me otherwise. I'm just being honest. Win or lose, that's my world. I want to see results. I want to understand things clearly. I want stability and security. But God doesn't promise any of that. He doesn't promise we'll see results, at least not how we might want to see them. God doesn't promise to give us clarity and understanding. God doesn't promise us things will be stable and secure in worldly standards. God does win in the end. I know what the end's like. But in the in-between, God says there will be trials. And in those, he says, trust me. God says we are secure in our eternity regardless of how insecure our circumstances in life are. Now, I think I'm a pretty self-aware person. Knowing what I know about me, I've learned not to put myself in certain situations because of how I know I'm likely to respond. The reality of that is sometimes I miss out on things. And for the moment, I'm okay with that. That's a good trade-off for me. I have learning to do. I have growing to do. A lot of things still need to happen in me. I'm working on it. And knowing what I know about myself, I sometimes wonder why in the world God called me to pastor a church. Right? It's full of unknowns. It's full of uncertainty. It's full of opportunity after opportunity to trust him with little to no clarity. Again, if you were here last week, we as a church, we're embarking on our biggest endeavor ever. It's a dream that God has been growing in me and our staff and leadership really for years. It's one we have lots of details of what, but not as clear on the how. It's a big ask. We serve a big God. Just as we've asked you to pray about your financial commitment and investment over the next three years to go above and beyond your normal tithes and offering, we're doing the same thing. Jana just mentioned it. I feel the weight of that ask. I feel the weight of asking my family to sacrificially give. I feel the weight of asking all of you. I feel the weight of trusting God in the midst of the unknown and a little bit of my fear. I'm wrestling with God with what we feel like he's asking us to do. I said this to somebody this morning. There's something God's asking us to do that we're in the middle of walking out. I don't necessarily like it, right? That's just honest. 
But in that sacrifice doesn't always feel good. But I know it's the right thing to do. I feel the weight of that. And since my personality is win or lose, it has been challenging me in good ways and in bad. And at this moment, I relate a lot to the Israelites. The promise from God seems impossible in their eyes. But it's when we walk by sight and not by faith, that's when we live in this doubt and disbelief. Right now in my own life, there are lots of fortified walls. I see giants in the land. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. I'm going to share just a few. Because of increased insurance costs, and I'm sure just like many of you, we've been impacted financially at the worst possible time, right? right? It's $300 less in a month than our monthly budget, right? We received a few weeks ago that our chimney needs $7,000 in repairs. The last four to six weeks, I've honestly been pleading with God about this Thrive Initiative. I've asked for his ear, and I've asked for his voice. I've prayed, I've read, I've processed with people, wanting to make sure this was from God and had nothing to do with me. It seems daunting. It's a giant in the land. And yet, I'm 100% convinced it's what God has said. The unknown brings tension and fear. But without that element of the unknown, there could be no faith. It's in the moment of faith that we learn to rely less on what we see and more on what is unseen. Faith bridges that gap. And I'm learning to walk in this truth. I'm learning the best way I know how, day in and day out. And I told my wife, this has to be from God. Because the enemy is showing up in our lives in many ways. Not just with decreased funds, from you know, budget flexibility, but we're experiencing sickness in our household that's unprecedented in the 25 years that we've been married. The number we believe God is asking us personally to give, we couldn't make the math work before the $300 decrease. Right? Have I told you I like security and stability? Right? <laughs> and those are just a few giants in the land. See, I face them too. I'm working through them just like you. And I'm tired of fighting all these giants and fortified cities in my own strength. I'm relearning how to invite God into the fight. I'm learning more and more about how God has wired me. I'm learning more and more how to share the load. But I'm not perfect at this. But I can't wait for God to show up. I can't wait for him to show off. Here's the point of all this. When we act like one of God's kids, we're a child of God, that's when we're in the will of God. And that isn't the time for complaining, even when circumstances are difficult. The will of God will never lead us where the grace of God can't provide for us. And the will of God will never lead us where the power of God can't protect us. A complaining spirit is evidence of an ungrateful heart and an unsurrendered will. By grumbling... We are daring to say that we know more than God does. We're daring to say that, God, I know what's best in this situation. Philippians 2.14 reminds us, do everything without complaining or arguing. I don't like that verse very much. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just like the Israelites. They had four men of faith in the camp. Moses, Aaron, Caleb, Joshua. 
and they tried to change the situation. Moses and Aaron fall on their faces to intercede with God, something that's a great example for all of us to do. They would do this over and over. I think that's a great model. But Caleb and Joshua, they, they take the opportunity. They spoke to the people and assured them, hey, the Jewish army, we, we can take the land. God is with us, not with them. They saw this nation's sin for what it really was, which was a lack of trust in God, which is a rebellion against God. I mean, this is why we're pursuing the Thrive Campaign. We're confident that God's called us to this. And we believe not pursuing it would be a lack of trust and faith. Not moving forward, we believe, would be a rebellious act. And I'm praying for God to help me walk this out in my daily life. And not just so we can meet some number. God is impressing on our heart for some campaign. But so that we can continue to trust God. So that he continue to trust, uh, so we continue to trust him so he could change us. So that we would be more like him. I've been down the road of discouragement, disbelief, and woe is me. I've been down that road. It's not a fun one. I refuse to walk that same road. I'm guessing those of you listening this morning, you want what God wants for you, right? You want what God has for you. You want God to face your giants in your life and the walls that seem too high and everything that seems too big, that you're just like a grasshopper to him. But we can't fight these battles on our own. Otherwise, we'd have already won them, right? They're impossible to win in our own strength. It's Jesus who did. It's Jesus who does the impossible. It's Jesus who changes people's lives. It's Jesus who speaks for us, reassures us, and leads us. Jesus is the one who saves. So let us not doubt God's word. Let's not make that same mistake. Let us not be discouraging spirit in our relationships. Let's not make the same mistake they did. Let us not defy God's will, which is always and always will be to draw people to himself, to have all his children Trust and obey his word and his spirit. I think this is what we all want. Like, we're singing that song, you know, here's my surrender. Like, I'm literally fighting back the tears because of this thing that I feel like God's, this road that we're on of sacrifice. That's the right decision. It's not going to radically alter the way I live my life, but it's something that I don't really want to do, to be completely honest with you but I felt like God saying, are you going to surrender that to me? Because I prepped it way back in October. Imagine if we lived our life like this. Not some financial thing, but our faith. Like, God, I just want to surrender to you. I want to stand out for you. I think that's why we're all here, right? We're going to be one of God's kids. Grab your Connect cards. I want to offer you a couple of next steps. If you have one, please write it on there. Drop it in the offering when it goes by in just a few minutes. I'm going to offer some that you, uh, you may want to take. You may have your own. I just encourage you to write that down. The first one is accept Jesus for the first time. Accept this God that wants to radically change you from the inside out. Not to be some robot. Not to be some religious person. He didn't die to make you religious. He died to make you like him. He wants to guide your life. He wants to challenge you. He wants to create tension so that you could be a better follower of him. He'll take you on adventures you never thought you'd go on your own. 
He will bless you more than you've ever thought possible. If you've made that decision, note that on your Connect card. Drop in the offering when it goes by. Make sure you grab a Bible. There's resources back there. You're not meant to do this journey alone. And the second next step is this. Trust God's word. Trust God's spirit. Ask for God's direction, his will for our life. Just more of you, less of me. Go to the word every morning. Pray before you do it. God, speak to me. Sometimes you'll read something. This happens a lot. You'll read something. It'll jump off the page. It speaks directly to your heart. You share that one, like, verse, and it's completely out of context, all right? What's actually going on in the story, but God uses that to, like, penetrate you, speak to you, challenge you, to change you. This is why we do reading plans. This is why we encourage you to be in groups, why we encourage you to pray. The third is receive prayer. We'll have a prayer team in the back and one over here. I think it's the best way to receive prayer. When you read in the New Testament, some things God only does through prayer. I think this is a great opportunity to ask for God to meet you right where you are. It could be a blessing. You've got great news to share, like how God's been moving in your life. I'm going to say more of that, Lord. Maybe you find yourself, there's giants in the land. They're just grasshoppers to God. Maybe you need that prayer, right? I encourage you, get out of your comfort zone, cross the line of fear, receive prayer. But if that's not your way, you can write your prayer request on the Connect card. There's a prayer wall in the back. And, of course, you can email us at prayer at blueashcc.com. And the last is our memory verse. I might have had something to do with this one. It's my life verse. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is what God asks. Trust me. Be strong and courageous in me. This is not in our own strength. This is my strength and my courage. God, I need your strength. I need your courage. You've promised me you're going to be wherever I go. I feel like you're calling us to this. I feel like you're calling me to do this. God, I need your strength. I need your courage. It's a good one to write on your heart. Let's go ahead and receive our offering. If you want to drop your Connect cards, I'm going to pull out your communion elements. If you didn't grab them, you can certainly get up and do that. This wafer represents the bread of life which is Jesus. The Word became flesh, Scripture tells us. And the juice represents Jesus' blood. You've read a lot about blood in the Old Testament, Leviticus, haven't you? There's a reason for that. But Jesus' blood wipes away all of our sin. His body was broken. His blood was shed for each and every one of us so that we could be in a relationship with Him. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. The same Spirit that lived in Jesus that rose from the dead. He conquered the giant of death because it was just a grasshopper to him. Let me pray. God, just come. God, reveal the the giants in the land, the the fortified cities, these, these things that seem impossible in our own eyes because on our own they are. God, whisper to us. Remind us of your goodness. Help us to remember the Red Seas you parted in our lives, where you fed us, the miracle of manna in our own lives. 
Help us to look at the blessing, the promised land, the thing you've asked us to do, the thing you've asked us to go, the place you've asked us to go. And remind us, there's grasshoppers out there. I have the Lord with me. God, I want that mentality to go. God's with me. This will be fun. Come, meet us right where we are. And God, thank you for loving us so much that you won't leave us there. In Jesus' name, amen. Feel free to stand or sit and receive prayer.